Hi, it's Jimmy Alexander, and welcome to Out With Jimmy. It's the podcast where members of the LGBTQ community share their coming out stories with you. And if you haven't clicked subscribe on uh, Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, I ask you one question. What the hell is wrong with you? Do it now, please. (laughs) And while you're there, um, give us a nice review and as many stars as you possibly can. It helps more than you'll ever, ever know. Also, if you'd like to share your coming out story, just go to outwithjimmy.com or reach out to me on social media, outwithjimmy, or on Instagram, outwithjimmyalexander. This week, Michael Key is out with Jimmy. Well, hello. Uh, I'm Michael Key. I live in Fairfax, Virginia. I'm the uh, photo editor for the Washington Blade newspaper, as well as Los Angeles Blade newspaper, and I am gay. Well, Michael, who was the first person you told and admitted to that you were gay? Mm. Well, I guess my parents, but it was like one of those sort of crying, like, I'm a monster kind of things <laughs> when I was like 12 or 13. Uh, and so, I didn't think you were going to, you're the first person who, who has said that they came out to their parents and, and then, and you didn't mean monster in a good way, like Lady right. Gaga meant, right? No, no, no. Oh, okay. And they're like, no, don't worry about it. Just go to school, kid, basically, you know, like, uh, and it kind of blew it off. But yeah, I, so I didn't talk about it for a number of years after that. Um, yeah. And did they bring it back up? No, no. Uh, I brought it back up when I was, uh, when we were about to move from Oklahoma. So like I grew up in eight, Oklahoma, this very conservative, uh, area, and, uh, you know, I knew that it was not going to be the type of place where you could come out. Um, you know, I would probably face violence. The one kid that had uh, come closest to coming out was humiliated constantly by teachers and students. And, uh, yeah, and like like they would make fun of him in class. And I just couldn't, I, I couldn't deal with that. So Even uh, the teachers? Even the teachers, yeah. It was shocking, actually. What would they do? Well, for instance, I had this one uh, teacher... He was a social studies teacher. He was really a coach, but somehow that made him qualified to teach social studies. He, uh, <laughs> he spent an entire class period talking about how he never wanted his daughter to have to see two F-words uh, holding hands, walking down the street together. And, um, and this is in social studies. This is social studies. Okay. So I did the best I could to argue with him, but I had to do it you know, in, a, uh, in a way that I wouldn't out myself, you know, because it was crazy enough to advocate for the LGBT community back then. In Oklahoma. Uh, in Oklahoma, at least, uh, in the mid-90s. So You can't be progressive in social studies <laughs> no. in Oklahoma. No, that no. is horrible. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, if that happened now, it would be recorded, it would be on ABC News or CNN, yeah. and they would be fired. Right, name them and shame them, but not back then, no. In fact, it was like just part of social cohesion. That was the way the whole community believed, and uh, to even think otherwise was to be an outcast. And so in some ways, I already was, but, uh, you know, there, there weren't that many smart people, I guess. And so those of us who were, uh, you know, were uh, treated a little bit differently anyway. So I was very happy to get out, and I knew when we were about to move, I told my mom and dad again, okay, look, you know, I, I know that I was about 16 or 15 or 16 at the time. It's like, you know, it hasn't gone away. This is the way it is. And and. It was tough, actually, at my house. I mean, don't worry, everything's fine now. My parents love me. They love my job. They love everything I do. Uh, And I never worried that I was going to get thrown out of the house or anything like that. But, um, yeah, it was tough for a few months. With I remember sitting at the top of the stairs uh, of my house and um, hearing my mother talking to my father 
downstairs saying that she just wished that I had never been born. Oh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's one of those really sad things. I, I, I don't mean to shame my mother about this because actually she's very great now. She's a wonderful ally. And I and, guarantee she brags about you all the time. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. And uh, like, you know, they, they're very supportive, all this stuff. But going through it, when you first go through it, I mean, yeah. it was a shock for them. They had to, you know, bury the child that they thought they were raising in order to come to love who I actually am. And they have. So don't get me wrong. They well, come around. And it does get better oh, yeah. in some cases. Yeah. I mean, not for everybody, but in my particular case, yeah. I mean, now my mom loves to go with me on assignments and pretends that I'm like Anderson Cooper with her, you know. Uh, like, so, uh, <laughs> your mom is the Oklahoma Vanderbilt. <laughs> right, right, right. So, well, let me ask you, when you, all jokes aside, when you heard your mom say that, and, mm-hmm. and she didn't know that you heard that. Right. What did you do? What did you think? Well, I, I mean, I, <laughs> I felt awful, obviously, uh, and it was uh, obviously bad enough that I remember it 20 years later, but like... <laughs> did you ever tell her that you heard that? No, I don't think I did. I don't know if she'll listen to this or not, but yeah. Well, uh, I know, hold on, I, your mom will most likely listen to this. Right, right. But you should tell, reiterate to her that you know she's an advocate. <laughs> right, yes. right, right. Now, I mean, like, like I said, things changed, but like at first it was tough, but... Not so bad, though, because once I moved up here from Oklahoma, like uh, I had a priest. Okay. Well, first of all, okay. So I'm an Episcopalian. I was raised Episcopalian, so the Episcopal Church, and uh, which in general is a pretty progressive place. Yeah. But in the mid-90s, not so much. Uh, I had a, I was part of this youth group, um, and it was a big thing because like in Oklahoma, there were like, I don't know, five Episcopalians. Yeah, I was going to say, how many Episcopalians <laughs> were in Oklahoma? Right, right. But then once I moved up here to Virginia, you know, when I was 16 uh, uh, and a junior in high school, like there, there was a huge Episcopal church with uh, a whole bunch of kids in it. And so I was in this youth group there. And uh, the youth pastors, there were three of them, they sat me down and said, do you know why people don't like you very much? Oh, dear God. And I was like, uh, no. And, and cause I, I didn't realize this, but apparently a lot of people had been talking about me. Uh, and I said, cause it, you know, cause I'm gay. And they're like, well, and they tried to then give me options for a conversion therapy camp, which seems awfully strange, you know, uh, you know, for Episcopalians. Well, obviously our church split and those types of people are no longer in our church anymore. But, uh, <laughs> but then the priest found out about that uh, and he got so mad and he like, you know, uh, told them off basically and sat me down and he gave me some really nice information, told me about smile. Then it was called the sexual minority youth assistance league is now supporting uh, and mentoring. So I don't know. Yeah, long, it's a great, it's a great organization. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it was LGBT youth group and he uh, gave me some information about HIV and I didn't even want to hear it. I was like, oh, well, I'll never have sex. And he's like, oh yeah, whatever kid, but here's some information and you need to protect yourself. And it's <laughs> like, okay. And uh, so from that, I found smile and I started going to that every week. Uh, and uh, my parents were supportive. They even would drive me down to go to smile. So, I mean, even, even when they weren't like totally cool with it, they were still like, you know, knew that I needed the support and they were happy to do that so uh and of course my brother became a smile kid too later on uh, he didn't want to move from oklahoma at first because you know, he was like oh because he had a lot of friends and stuff but i knew you know in a couple years brother you're going to be happy that we moved <laughs> so, so yeah. your brother's gay too my brother's gay as well yes okay let me ask, have you ever dated the same guy yes oh <laughs> yes okay we we, we're gonna take a, a detour right now <laughs> so you how many times did you b- both date the same guy just once just once and yeah. was the guy worth it uh yeah well uh, we're we're still friends so uh yeah uh it just uh 
I dated him first, and then you know I moved off to college, and then my brother dated him. Did so. he ask you permission? No. Was it cool? Were you okay it was, with it? It was, it was. It's still a little weird, yeah. uh, but uh, you know, it's it's fine. Whatever. Boy, that guy went through the key family like <laughs> he went through the key boys like yeah. someone else. Um, how old is your brother? What's the age difference between you and uh, your brother? We're like two and a half, three years different, something like that. So obviously, you have the same taste in men, um, <laughs> yeah, sort of. <laughs> it's changed over time. You know, um, so. so uh, your brother, I hopefully was appreciative. What's your brother's name? Stephen. Hopefully, yep. Stephen was appreciative that you kind of paid the way in the key family to. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think he was. He it made it a little easier for him in some ways, but also made it more difficult because he had to. Uh, so one hundred percent of your children are gay now. So yeah. like it, he had a lot of pressure, and he was a little more. I don't mean to say stereotypically gay so i guess my parents kind of always had braced themselves for yeah. that you know but uh, not necessarily for me they're like not you too damn <laughs> right 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 so. uh, well that's great and um does he live in town or is actually we live together yeah so his boyfriend uh lives with him and i live oh, there god. too we have a three-story townhouse in fairfax okay so. god michael you didn't <laughs> date the brother his boyfriend too before him. no no, oh, okay, no, no, no not good. that one no, okay no. good um so you're in high school you're going to smile mm-hmm and how has life changed from you from hearing the social studies teacher say that he didn't want to hear two, see his daughter to have to see two gay men holding hands? Right. To now. To well, then. well, to then, actually, Fairfax wasn't that great and progressive of a place. Like, uh, when I started to come out, and we'll get to that, but like when I started to come out, I got in a lot of trouble with administrators and with, with teachers uh, who were upset about it. And... Um, like, uh, you know, specifically when I tried to bring my boyfriend to the Winterfest dance, mm. they made a big deal about it and I had to threaten a lawsuit with the ACLU in order to, ha- to, to get to do it. Really? Oh, yeah. Uh, th- this was in 95, I guess, 96. So you were really a trailblazer. Yeah. I mean, I guess I was, uh, yeah. Um, I mean, there weren't that many out people at the time. There certainly wasn't anything like a gay straight alliance. Because I graduated a couple years before you and I would never have dreamed to bring uh, a guy to the prom or you know, I would it would never have occurred to me that I could right the strangest thing is I used to be so courageous and I'm so not anymore like uh, I don't, don't know what it was as a, as a child uh, but Michael like, you are taking a public <laughs> record for history of right. our community well okay so when going to smile really helped me and I like began to build a lot of confidence just from that and um then, uh, you know, going to school, I started to come out to a few people and I knew it was going to be a big deal whenever I came out though. So I just made it all happen at once on national coming out day. Cause I knew that that would be the easiest way to get it done. So that's what I did. You were very efficient. I liked it. Yes. So how did you do it? Um, okay. So, uh, I knew that national coming out day was coming up. Uh, we had been talking about it at smile and, um, you know, like uh, after smile meetings, I would go to like, we would all as a group, a bunch of us at least, I would go to like Lambda Rising, which is this old uh, LGBT bookstore uh, back in what was then an LGBT neighborhood, uh, DuPont Circle. It's now like a Ann Taylor Loft or whatever, but <laughs> filled with strollers. But uh, at the time, it was like a different country. It was like, you know, when I would take the metro and get off at um, DuPont Circle, it was like, you know, you know, stamping your passport and stepping into a completely different world. And, um, that was LGBT centric and like it was the only place where you would see that. Uh, of course, now things are all spread out and in some ways better because, you know, like you can go anywhere and, you know, 
be fine. But do you miss the day where you went I to do Mont Circle? There was something about it, though. It was like I, I would suggest everybody to at least hop into a time machine just to walk around for like 10 minutes. Now, granted, there were some terrible things about that time as well. You had you faced constant fears of violence. I mean, I guess that's still the case, but I mean, uh, but even more so. And it was socially acceptable to be violent to LGBT people. And um, but they, but you didn't have to worry with the Ann Taylor Loft, though. Right, right. That's true. Uh, we would go to uh, Lambda Rising bookstore and to like the pop stop it was like this uh, 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 coffee shop in the area and uh, you know we just sit and hang out and talk and, and at uh, Lambda Rising I picked up a, a rainbow magnet mm-hmm. um, I mentioned this in my story that you had picked up but um, like uh, I got this magnet because I knew that I couldn't get a bumper sticker because my parents had bought me a car so in many ways yes I was very privileged whatever I got a car when I was 16 uh, but like uh, I knew that I couldn't like put a bumper sticker on there because my parents would flip out uh, when I drove it into the neighborhood because it was a very controversial symbol back then. Um, this is before the HRC. Uh, isn't it amazing? <laughs> but isn't it amazing to think that that oh my god, you don't want that on the car? People will know. Mm-hmm. And now straight people, w- yeah, have it on their car just to let hey, <laughs> right? We're we're an advocate. <laughs> the funny part is I don't have any bumper stickers on my car anymore because I just don't want people knowing about me. But back in the day, I used to have a whole bunch of bumper stickers i had like a you lost get over it bumper sticker with a with a uh, uh a confederate flag with a x through it you know so i thought you were gonna say bill clinton get over it no, for, no, no, no. but you mean the, the uh, war look, yeah and uh, you know i would drive that around in harrisonburg virginia where where i went you to were school just daring people yeah i know yeah i was daring you you know uh very much so like uh, as i got older that was definitely the case i was always like daring people to mess with me um but uh, anyway, back to high school. So I uh, put that rainbow magnet on my car and I'd drive it, you know, it was just whenever I was driving it like downtown or whatever. But uh, this was the day I was going to put it on and have it on at school. So I put the rainbow magnet on my car uh, right behind my school and I stepped back and I thought it was just so cool. Of course, my car did get kicked in later on, but whatever. Um, but um, because of the because of the probably because of the rainbow magnet. But um that's not the happy part of the I story. I think it was your brother when he found out you were dating his uh, boyfriend, <laughs> right, but go ahead. Um, so, you know, I stepped into school. Uh, I had, okay, now in the 90s, there was this little thing. They were called freedom rings. And I got made fun of for them later on in college because, from other gay people who were like, oh, that's so tacky. And so I stopped wearing them. But at the time, in high school, it was a cool thing. Uh, at least it felt cool to me to wear these rainbow rings. Um, and um, it was this sort of 90s fad that has long since gone away. But um, I used to wear them under my shirt when I wasn't quite out yet at school. And, you know, I'd sort of clutch onto them in order to feel powerful or what have you. Um, but this day, you know, it was National Coming Out Day. I was going to come out. So I took my rainbow rings out. And I walked into school. Most people didn't even know what they were or whatever, but some people did. And um, like uh, I walked up to who was, I knew the greatest gossip in school. She gossip about anything. And I loved her about that. Uh, I won't mention names because I'm sure she's a wonderful person now. But anyway, so I told her. That she's not, but go ahead. <laughs> I told her, okay, yeah. So I'm gay. It's National Coming Out Day. Uh, tell everybody. And, uh, and then I walked away. Um, so you, you really gave it to your school's version at the time of Twitter. Yes. Yeah. So I walked away. I didn't want to even have to mess with whatever, you know, she had to say or you know, think about that. And I went to my locker and I've been waiting to do this for some time. I put a little rainbow sticker on the front of my locker that I got at Lambda Rising again. And then I pulled out three pictures of my boyfriend uh, who I'd met at Smile. Aww. And yeah, and I put them in my locker. And later on, somebody did come up to me and said, is, is that a 
guy from uh, some boy band or whatever because he kind of looked like a guy in a boy band. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, he's very cute. And uh, I said, no, that's my boyfriend. And then her boyfriend, like, like dropped his mouth and was like, oh, my God, and started to run away. So oh, my like, God, you're queer. Right? Yeah, yeah, I got a lot of that. Um, <laughs> so, but at that point, that was when I was like, okay, I'm out. This is it. And so um, I just knew already that some of my friends were not going to be cool with this. So I just stopped hanging out with them and uh, I started hanging out with other people that I knew were cool. And, um, you know, people made their alliances pretty well known pretty quickly. Um, how did you feel that day? Well, uh, incredibly proud and powerful, uh, because, uh, at first it was like oil on water. Like when I was walking, um, down the hallway, people began to start to talk because uh, this spread quickly, you know, for somebody to come out. And uh, and so people like sort of parted away from me as I walked through the, the hallway and sort of got quiet and talked to one another. And I and I know like in movies like Love, Simon, he feels all bad about that. But actually, I felt really cool because like in a school of like 5,000 kids, you know, where no, I don't know who the football star is, whatever. I never knew. I was super famous. Yeah. Like, so like everybody knew who I was. Um, oh. and so, but uh, so that sort of gave me a, a bit of a thrill. Uh, but it wasn't until band and i write about this in my in my coming out story but it wasn't until marching band or symphonic band practice that like everything really came down to it because it's a very closed system so like in a school like like lake braddock which was like you know five thousand kids or whatever like so like i said i don't know who the football star is but everybody knows each other in their little niche yeah so like everybody knows who i am in in band because uh, that was like definitely like something i was part of and uh you know most people were really quiet or staring at me uh and in my section i just knew to move my chair over a little bit so that the person next to me wouldn't have to sit next to me because i knew that it was going to be tough for him if he did um but i could definitely feel like the the tuba section behind me they were the biggest bullies so yeah i didn't know there was a cast system in the band with what instrument you're oh, playing yes absolutely you're like hey i i can play the piccolo but listen here <laughs> no but with the um that was a kind thing that you did with moving the chair. Yeah. Well, later on, of course, you know, he would go on to be one of my big allies uh, and, you know, made it clear that it was perfectly fine to sit next to him. But I knew that it was going to be trouble for him because, oh, you're sitting next to the gay guy. Back then, like, it's a different world than where we live now. Like, uh, they, they didn't have, you know, like, sensitivity training or anything yeah. like that. It was definitely like, oh, you know what? You're you're actually admitting it. <laughs> That's the part that. that but Michael, uh, do you bullies. realize what strength you had? I do now. Yeah, I, I don't and have I that mean anymore. That, and <laughs> I mean that with all. And I know I'm about to say nice things about no, you, no. and it's painful to people. It is painful. Um, it's easier to be called names than what I'm about to do for you. <laughs> okay. Because being about three, probably four years older than you, the strength that you had. I never had till I was 35 when I was outed. Mm. So for you to do that and then to be so strong and be like, I'm owning this. This is my national coming out day. And then to do so something for somebody in your band, just moving the chair, that little effort to show I, I'm going to be who I am, but I don't want to bring anybody any heat with anybody else. Mm -hmm. It shows the kindness, but the strength that you have is, and had as a kid is impressive. Well, thanks. Um, anyway, the rest of the story is so that, uh, so like I said, I could feel the bullies behind me, like staring at me and like making their mumblings because, and of course they would go on for the rest of the semester to be total 
bad people to me. You can curse. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what the FCC well, how, No, there's a podcast. There's no FCC. So okay. how horrible was it? Well, um, what would they say? Well, you know, they, they, uh, well, I'll just start with the specific yeah. story. So he, um, he, he said, is it true what people are saying about you? And I turn around and I said, what, what are you talking about? He's like, is it true what people are saying about you? And he had this sort of like crazy smirk on his face. Like I knew he was about to like just lay into me. I said, what, that I'm gay. And he said, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm gay. So what are you, you know, what are you going to do about it? And, um, and he was like, oh, oh, and he couldn't believe that I had admitted it. And he's like, well, just so long as you don't hit on me. And like this guy <laughs> was totally not my type, right? Totally not my type. That is always, <laughs> so that's always what you're, well, as long as they don't hit on me. And it's like, no one is going to hit on you ever. And yeah, I was, I was, okay. And you said nice things about me. I was kind of mean and I apologize now, but I was like, you have absolutely nothing to worry about. <laughs> turn around and just played my instrument, and that was that. You know, and yeah, so basically, what like, was his reaction to that? I don't know. He was flabbergasted, but I guess probably a little disappointed. Who knows? Um, so yeah. Anyway, yeah. Needless to say, we never went on a date. Uh, but uh, yeah, he and a couple of the others did cause me trouble. Like as I was head of the Young Democrats, so they would like take down my Young Democrats posters and write Young faggots mm. uh, and stuff like that and they did try a little bit of bullying but i didn't get it so bad the people that got it bad were like the first chair french horn player who's now out and has a lovely family and lovely husband and lovely children and all that stuff and has a great job off in chicago but at the time was very closeted and uh you know and he was like no i'm not gay you know and so when anybody would bully him they would bully him all the time they wouldn't dare bully me because i'd be like what you, i'm gonna tell the teacher and even if they don't care because the teacher didn't and he made it well I, he made it very clear well i don't support what you are doing but you can't be saying these things in class to to him so that was that's how you would admonish kids in class yeah i don't support what he is but <laughs> right right so that was the, nice. the, the best we could hope for was that you can't like uh overtly bully me right uh and so they went to other lengths to try it but really like i said most people that got bullied were were kids that were closeted who were less like ready. who were living in fear right who were living in fear i was not i was like yeah you fighting with me would not be fun because I'm not going to punch back, but what I will do is sue you. So, <laughs> uh, um, so the only kid in the band uh, in the uh, second chair with the lawyer. Um, <laughs> right. What instrument did you play? French horn. Okay. I said mellophone and some marching. Do you still play? No, no. I still play the piano, but oh. um, no, the French horn I always had to get from the school. But I did play it on into college as well, so uh, at JMU. So. so you, natural coming out day, you come out, you go home. Do you feel good when you get home? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, like I said, I lost a couple friends over it, but not really. And then I became way more popular really fast. Uh, so like uh, I, all these <laughs> girls wanted to be my friends suddenly. Uh, they and, wanted to go to Ann Taylor Loft with you. Right, right. I know. And I'm not that kind of gay, obviously. But, Me either. <laughs> but, I always say NTG, not that gay. <laughs> not that gay. No, no, nothing right. If you are, that's fine. But no, that's, that's, that's not my um, brand of gay. Right, right. It was uh, not my brand. But Unless we're going to... If you want to go buy Andrew Christian underwear, I, I'll be involved with that. Send your boyfriend. Do you know what I love to do? I love giving my uh, my friends who have who my friends who have husbands who are women. I love at Christmas I get their husbands um, 
over the top underwear. <laughs> and I like, I want you to go to work and tell uh, that your gay friend gave your husband a trophy boy Andrew Christian underwear. <laughs> I, and they all love it. And the husbands love it too. Mm. And I'm like, just all you have to do is send me a picture of the minute and we'll be fine. There you go. <laughs> but so did you tell your parents you came out? Um, well, my mom was very concerned because she was a school teacher as well at Fairfax County Public Schools. And so she was worried she would lose her job uh, by having a son that was so out. Uh, and it wasn't an illegitimate fear, actually. Um, I mean, it's hard to believe how much the world has changed, but it really has. Um, at the time, like I started wearing like nobody knows I'm gay t-shirts to school and stuff like that. So I get sent to the principal's office and he'd be all upset about it and be like, you know, this is part of my first amendment rights and I'm going to use them. And, and so I advocated for myself and, and so I was a bit of a, a thorn in, in, in his side. Your mom's fear. I mean, that is people, when I tell my coming out story, they're like, well, why didn't you come out earlier? I'm like, I would not have been hired for the job I have mm-hmm. or had at the time. Um, if I would have been out, because let's go back to the early 90s. I always use as an example of how times have changed is Melrose Place. Mm-hmm. They're going to have those two men kiss mm-hmm. and they um, got pushback from advertisers and they said it was going to cost him like eight million dollars. Mm-hmm. And they instead of a kiss, it was a knowing glance, which mm-hmm. I love. <laughs> and then in the, earlier in the year, how times have changed. Walmart had commercials just for the gay community mm-hmm. targeted. Mm-hmm. Things have gotten better. Not yeah. saying it's perfect, but times have changed. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at the culture itself, there, uh, at this point, like there are so many options for people to just stream on Netflix of any sort of LGBT themed thing. Uh, but at the time, there really was very, very little. Very rarely would anybody overtly say anything about you know any LGBT experience. Certainly transgender. Um, but uh, even like gay men were like the worst possible thing you could be. Thank you. I, I always say that. Paul Lynn and Charles Nelson Riley do not get the credit mm. they deserve because they were the two people on television that you knew. Mm-hmm. Maybe let's say Jim J. Bullock too, that you knew when you saw them on TV mm-hmm. that, oh, they're gay. And I think Charles Nelson Riley has a line about um, him when uh, talking to a movie studio head. And they looked at him and said, you're not ever going to be in movies. Nobody's going to want to watch a faggot on, in the movies. And then he said with pride, he would open the TV guide and highlight every appearance he was making on game shows because he knew that was going to middle America and mm-hmm. they were welcoming in him into their homes. Mm-hmm. And I think some of those performers, because when we were kids, what Elton John, but he didn't even, he was by, right, right. Th- there was no gay men on TV. Right. In my generation, the very first, and it was a groundbreaking show and it only lasted one season, but it was the season when I was coming out, was My So-Called Life uh, yes. with Claire Danes. And of course, I've, I've since met uh, Wilson Cruz and he's a really nice guy, all that stuff. But, you know, I sort of gushed over him like, you know, like, you were so my hero when I was a, co- when I was a kid. Cause, but uh, this is kind of embarrassing. You, know, <laughs> you meet your, the people that you looked up to. But, um, no, but he was super gracious about it. But anyway, uh, he played uh, Ricky on My So-Called Life, which is the first sort of openly gay or coming out sort of gay teen that I'd ever seen displayed on television. I just thought that was so amazing. And um, also around the same time, that was when Pedro was on uh, The Real World. And that was, of course, a very tragic story. Um, I would later meet his uh, his boyfriend, Sean Sasser, and took his picture and stuff at the paper. And um, I was actually the last photographer to, to shoot him before he died and uh, untimely. Uh, but... Um, you know, just those few touchstones were lifelines for me. 
And I know how important it is to build that type of culture. And that's why I'm happy to be a part of it. Um, because you never know the type of difference that that makes for a young person feeling so isolated as I did, even in Fairfax with smile and all the other stuff There really wasn't cultural space made yet. Though, uh, bringing it back, there was the Washington Blade, and I I started reading that when I was 16, and I never dreamed that I'd be working for it, but uh, it certainly helped me to come out, and I thought, oh, wow, they have their own paper and everything, and I was like, oh, so cool. So What is, and, (laughs) you know, you think of performers, even now, and, you know, I say the thing about those, you know, Charles Nelson Riley and Paul Lannon, and and you think in 2019, well, we have Alan. Mm Mm-hmm. We had Rosie O'Donnell, who, who were openly gay and didn't mind talking about it. But when you, gay men who were the worst, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. the perception, Anderson Cooper, okay, he's gay. Mm-hmm. And then you start going around like, well, there's other news people that we know is gay, but they never say they're gay, but we know they're gay. Mm-hmm. There's several mm-hmm. of big names that I'm not, I mean, it's no secret that they're gay, but it's not like they're, you know, turning the light on and saying, you know, you know, here's my husband or here's my boyfriend. <laughs> right. And nothing against them. And I understand why they don't, because then it becomes gay news anchor, mm-hmm. whomever. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in, in my business, in the, in the radio business, it wasn't until Elvis Duran came out mm-hmm. um, that I thought, okay, well, I can do this because I didn't want to be, you know, anytime in movies, they'd be the stereotype. It'd be like, oh, they're either sleazy or a stereotype and then um and then they're like the gay kid you know for me on the radio it would have been like gay jimmy and i always would say i'm jimmy who is gay not gay right. jimmy which are two different things mm-hmm. now with like modern family i would imagine when you interview people who watch the show whether it's oklahoma or north carolina where I grew up or california who are your favorite characters even people who would be against gay marriage go well, i like mitch and cam mm-hmm and Kurt from Glee, as Biden said about Will and Grace, mm-hmm. they brought these characters into the home where families would watch it together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, the work of uh, Ryan Murphy certainly has been oh. groundbreaking and everything that he's done. I think my favorite TV show that, and I'm not a real teary-eyed person, mm-hmm. but when Ryan Murphy had Kurt come out to his dad on Glee, mm. and they didn't, and I have never been able to watch it without choking up. Mm. And it wasn't. I like that they didn't have the father be a lawyer or a doctor. He was a mechanic. Mm-hmm. It was so painful watching that episode because you could see it on his face. Mm-hmm. Chris, I think Chris is one of those unsung heroes in our community mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for that character. Yeah. You go to college. Let me back you up for just one second. There's one more story okay. I want to share from high school. And that was, I believe, and uh, I don't see anybody to correct me, <laughs> that I was because I read about all this kind of stuff. I was the first person in Virginia to take a same-sex partner to a high school dance. And uh, I was making some news about it, and my parents flipped out. and uh, But I went anyway. And <laughs> so I apologize for putting you through that, Mom and Dad, all those years ago. But I bet they're <laughs> damn proud of you now when well, they, they look are back now. at it. Yeah, they are now. They, Think they did, about that. They Think about that. In the it. history of Virginia, and you say it, Michael, like you were saying you went to Cozy to get some coffee. <laughs> right. But you are... You help change things for other kids. That's that's the goal. So, like, because uh, I, I at some point my senior year, I came to realize that I'm not really doing this for me anymore. Because, like, I'm fine. I know who I am. You know, you're not going to change me or mess me up about it. Who I'm doing it for is the closeted kid that's sitting two seats down for me and marching band who I know is gay. He'll figure it out one day. And, um, you know, and when he did, he did thank me. And actually, so that was very nice. But, um, 
like, yeah, that's what I was doing it for. But I, I did have a good time at the dance. So like, um, I, like I said, I had to threaten a lawsuit to get it done, but, um, we uh we met up his aunt uh came out and took pictures of us and everything it was real cute and our little i had one of those weird 90s suits on okay so i will be uh, posting a picture of this in this interview so right now you'll be seeing that picture hopefully if he allows it okay i'll have to ask brett but sure oh, um so you were a twink okay, yeah, no, yeah uh, we were twinks um <laughs> at one one day believe it or not even bears used to be twinks ah, so. um, <laughs> michael i gotta tell you you are a pleasure because it, no one wants to, nice things said to them. It's painful. Yeah. But to think what strength it took to go, no, fuck it. I'm bringing my boyfriend to this dance, and your parents are, your mom's already scared she's going to lose her job, and now you're now you're try, <laughs> yeah. threatening lawsuits. Right. <laughs> um, and so how was the dance? Well, actually, at first it started off really scary because uh, the administrators were worried. The main reason why they were uh, saying, well, we can't do this is because they were afraid that there was going to, like, was going to be violence yeah and there could have been um did you did you face any i was afraid and there were people that were saying that they were going to do things but nobody ever did what actually ended up happening was when we got there like and i had my core group of friends you know with me who were gonna like you know did you have straight guy friends who yeah see one of the advantages of making friends with all the popular girls <laughs> mm. is that uh they have boyfriends who need to you know impress them so and nothing impresses a girl <laughs> right. more than her straight boyfriend right standing up for, for their gay friends so um anyway so i had my crew we were ready for it um but um what ended up happening when we first, like when you're just you know dancing around, where nobody pays attention. But it was when Whitney Houston's "I Will Always Love You" came on, and it was like, I wish I could afford uh, the the rights to play "I Will Always Love You" right now, but sadly <laughs> I don't have that. Kind oh of money. no! And so that's when people noticed because it was a slow dance, and then suddenly it was like, boom! Everybody moved away from us like uh, you know, oil and water. Like I said before, uh, people were shocked, and it was supposed to be the dance between the uh, Winterfest King and Queen, but nobody was paying attention to them, uh, and uh, it was. Like like a full circle came around us, everybody staring at us. The other queens were taking the uh, <laughs> right. attention away. And mind you, this was before that scene in Queer as Folk. So like they totally st ripped it off from us. <laughs> um, so uh, it was very much like that though. And, um, and the world just kind of fell away. And then my friends sort of filtered into the fill in the circle where people were shocked and aghast and like, Oh my God, did you see it? He kissed his ear and it's, it's crazy stuff. And, uh, but then we just kept dancing. Everything was fine. And, Went on to Peppers, which is this old restaurant down in the neighborhood that no longer with, exists. With the gayest name of any restaurant I've ever heard in my <laughs> right. life, right there, Peppers. And uh, yeah, so that was it was a lovely night. That's yeah, and uh, yeah, we're still friends and you know, talk all the time. And, That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, when you got home that night, did you get home or do where did you? Uh, <laughs> hey now, what happened after Peppers? <laughs> well, we'll leave that <laughs> um, aside. I thought you said Poppers, but no, Peppers. <laughs> no. I misheard you. Now we move forward. We're in college. So, mm -hmm. any more that you want to say about the high school? No, that time. was pretty much it. Like, uh, yeah, I faced some bullying, but really people left me alone. And toward the end there, I, the only one kind of crappy thing was I was voted most like his instrument in the superlatives because I play the French horn and I guess it's not straight, whatever. But, I mean, the, those whole stupid superlatives, they, they're expecting like a tuba to get it because you're, if you're fat or like a skinny piccolo player. like You can't do that it's, now. It's just, it's just mean, you know? Yeah. So, I'm glad if, if they haven't, they should get rid of those type of things because they're only there to shame 
and bully and humiliate students. Yeah. And it did intimidate me because I had to walk up there on a stage and grab this award, say, oh, congratulations, y'all are so witty. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, French horn, I get it. The French, gay, I get it. Did you, <laughs> a beret. You could have worn a beret. Right, right, right. So you go to college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I uh, went. To, I went to James James Madison University specifically because it had a great marching band <laughs> and still does. And uh, I didn't even apply to any other school. That's the one I wanted to go to because I saw their marching band. I thought, oh, this is so awesome! I want to be part of it. And uh, I found out they had an LGBT group uh, called Harmony. So of course, I immediately became its president. <laughs> well, because you know people people like a go-getter. Go and they heard about your French horn thing, the <laughs> right, award. They were like, right, right, he's right. an award winner. So yeah, I got involved politically and did some of that and yeah, just went to school, had a good time. Uh college was fun. When did photography become a passion? Oh man, not till I okay. The way I came about to be in uh, my position now is completely different than most people go through life. Like uh, th- most people that have the type of job that I have went to journalism school, graduated with all that and like had specific formal training in it. I did not. Um, a little over 10 years ago, I was working uh, at Ross Hall Laboratory uh, at George Washington University. I was working, I was, my background's actually in microbiology. So nothing, oh, well, that makes sense. <laughs> so that, nothing to do with what I do yeah. now at all. Well, except sort of like resolving an image with the camera is not altogether different from microscopy. So it's a lot of like, so I never had to learn like um, uh, autofocus, uh, manual focus, because mm-hmm. I could always do that just immediately because of all my work with microscopes. But um Anyway, I was working as a research scientist, and um, my friend uh, Aram, who was like my best friend from high school, still my best friend, um, he uh, he was working for The Blade. This was like 10 and a half years ago. Now, The Blade is now and has always been profitable. The problem was the, co- the company that owned The Blade at the time, Window Media, had made all sorts of terrible business decisions and were several million dollars in debt to the um, Small Business Administration. So they hadn't paid their photographer in like three months. And he's like, yeah, I need a job that pays me, so bye. And he left. So they told my friend Aram, who was the videographer for The Blade at the time, that he was going to need to take both photos and videos at this uh, Prop 8 event in, at DuPont Circle. It was you know, Proposition 8 California. Mm-hmm. Look it up. Uh, I mean, I know yeah. you know, but for the viewers. Uh, and so, uh, anyway, so he was told he was going to have to do both of those things. He's like, well, I can't do both of these well, so Michael, could you please come take pictures at this event? I was like, well, I've never taken a picture before in my life, but I could try. And so uh, they gave me the, this crappy camera that could only take like 14 pictures at a time. Uh, and it was pouring down rain. It was dark. Everything bad you could think of for a photo. Now, mind you, though, of course, I knew what the blade was and I very much respected it. And I didn't want to mess this up because, I mean, you know, this is something that helped me to come out. And I've been reading the blade since I was a kid. And so, um, you know, a lot of pressure. But anyway, I had to keep deleting the photos, and, you know, but I managed to take one that wasn't blurry and they put it on the front cover of the Washington Blade. I thought, oh, that's just so cool. And I just kept staring and I was like, oh, that's so cool. So uh, I was the volunteer photographer for the Washington Blade for the last six months of its life. And in that time, I got to be at the National Equality March and right up next to Lady Gaga taking her picture and taking like all these celebrities and working with them and like like, oh, this is just an amazing job. How could I, this is what I want to do with my life. And I went out and I bought a real camera. I quit my job as a scientist and uh, the blade promptly went under chapter seven, liquidation bankruptcy. So <laughs> we all met in this uh, sort of coffee shop thing at the base of the uh, national press building that we had been ignominiously kicked out of the day before. And um, 
So I, uh, st- I met there with the other Blade staffers. Now, some left because they were just in it for the money, but hey, I wasn't getting paid anyway, so whatever. And um, Who's the scientist <laughs> with the camera who's not being paid? Oh, it's Michael. <laughs> right. So uh, oh, we all got together. We're like, we all know what the Blade has done. Nobody wants to see it go under. It's like, you know, the New York Times of the LGBT world. So let's make it happen. Let's make a new paper. So we started up the DC Agenda, and we never missed a single issue. Um, and... Um, that very next week, you know, it was right up right there. It was just a mimeograph piece of paper, kind of like the first blade. So it was, wasn't that impressive to look at, but it's still the point is we got it out. And uh, within a few uh, weeks, we were able to publish actual newsprint again. Our advertisers came back. Everybody wanted to support us. We got support from all over the world. And within six months, we had bought back the blade name and archives um, from bankruptcy court. And we're now publishing as a worker owned business. And I was there on the ground floor. So I was getting paid and doing a job I loved. And at first my mom was a little upset that I had left science behind, but after I took a nice picture of Hillary Clinton, like she loves her. So she's like, Oh, that's so cool. And now of course my parents are very supportive and think what I do is really amazing. So for how many years have you, so a little over 10 years. So yeah, as photo editor, like, as far as being a photographer, I just happen to have an eye for it. And then all the technical stuff you just learn by doing. Um, and then, uh, but so I'm the photo editor. So my job is to manage the other photographers. So I send out the younger kids to do like, you know, nightlife things. Cause I'm getting on up there as yeah. far as doing, having to do that myself. I'm always <laughs> looking for you, the Eagle and I never see you. Nope. <laughs> um, so of the things that you've seen in your 10 years at the Washington blade, mm-hmm. tell me a couple of things that will stick with you for the rest of your life. Hmm. Gosh. Well, uh, so in my time, uh, covering don't ask, don't tell repeal, uh, was a big thing. I was in the room for everything that you would see about that. Um, you know, watching the, the hearings being there for people being arrested on the white house, uh, wall, a couple of my favorite things that I've done in, in my job, I guess, uh, was when the blade sent me to Cuba. Um, so covering like LGBT life in Havana was really amazing and coming to realize what a different country that is from ours. Okay. So I have this one photo of the white house in rainbow colors, but that day was, was really amazing. I heard that the, the, the white house had been lit up in rainbow colors. So my mom and my brother and I, uh, ran downtown to um, to the White House, and there were several hundred people gathered there, but we were all sort of in reverent silence and just sort of staring at it. And I could hear, and I, I swear to God, uh, sitar music. I don't know who was playing it, but sort of like wafting in the background as everybody was staring in awe at this uh, the sight of the of the White House bathed in rainbow colors following the uh, passage of marriage equality, uh, or rather the <laughs> court uh, ruling. Yeah, that was uh, an ethereal moment that but, I'll always remember. And think about that from the, the man who's a push to be the first kid to be able to bring a, a boy to a dance mm-hmm. in Virginia, only a few miles away, and now you're seeing the White House yeah. no, uh, uh, celebrating the fact that gay and lesbians can marry who they want to marry. Mm-hmm. Pretty moving. It, it was, and also like... <laughs> For me, I always felt like a, a bit of an outsider in America, like this isn't really my country kind of thing. Uh, like, uh, and is that, it because the French Horn Award you won? You felt <laughs> that was part of it. Okay, and uh, but there, and now things have changed, of course. But <laughs> at the time, in front of the White House, bathed in rainbow colors, I felt, wow, I am proud to be American. I am American, and it just felt amazing. Like I was suddenly a part of the country that I had been kicked out of since I was a child. Um, so yeah, it was transformative in that respect. 
I uh, remember that, and I've seen that picture, and I, it's so funny because I'm into presidents. Mm-hmm. Um, like I've been to like over 200 different homes mm-hmm. or sites of a president, and I'm like, I can't believe I don't have that. So I'm going to have to buy that picture because that should be in my home. But I think about around that time, I, I guess it was the, before the 2012 election. So it would have been that summer when Biden went on Meet the Press, mm-hmm. and he big-footed Obama on saying, ah, yeah. you love who you love. I remember choking up and having tears down my face because it was like, oh, my God, the vice president just said that. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I remember the 92 convention where Pat Buchanan is, oh, yeah. we're going to take block by block, you know, and it was just how far we've come and a really true short amount of time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You've had accolades mm-hmm. at the museum and had to be proud for you to your work yeah. there. Absolutely. It, it was. It's always weird because, <laughs> like, if I ever watch and I am voraciously consume mm-hmm. LGBT media in general, so like if there's an, a gay documentary, I'm probably going to watch it. Mm-hmm. And the weirdest part is always like I see myself in them, <laughs> and I, I always try to hide from the cameras, but like I'll accidentally be on CNN all the time, and um, like because uh, it's um, it's embarrassing. I don't like to see it, but like uh, but always whenever I see like a documentary or like even in the museum art, even the photos that aren't mine, I'm like, well, I'm standing right there, like uh, <laughs> so, like I, I know exactly. Yeah perspective where it is and i'm like it's it, so it's it was very surreal like walking into the museum and sort of w- looking at your life displayed in front of you you know like yeah this is the last 10 years of my life or more uh, i met uh, barney frank when i was 17 i guess at a um employment on discrimination act hearing and i was wearing the big you know employment on discrimination act just bumper stickers and signs and stuff and um he spotted me he was really nice super nice to me he took me through uh the um secret metro under the the senate and the house uh, to uh to i don't know show me around or whatever and um you know because he was amazed that these kids i was with a, f- a friend of mine were at this hearing and of course i read that secret metro all the time now but <laughs> at the time it was like oh i'm yeah, yeah, seeing something secret you've made a difference in uh, our community's life and i want to say thank you well, thank you. you you did too it's not like you got out of the change in the world uh, business out of high school. You're doing it every day. And those pictures, you know, the cliche, a picture's worth a thousand words. And how many words have you uh, shown us over the last 10 years? Well, and a big part of my job and the part that is most satisfying is also as the chief archivist for the Blade. So the Blade has probably the largest collection of LGBT LGBT photos of history. And part of my job is like to categorize it, to scan them, to make them available. And you can now actually go to DC Library has um, has them available on their website. A lot of them. People want to follow you on social media. How do they do that? Sure. Uh, so you can go to Michael Key WB uh, is my Twitter handle. So like Michael Key Washington Blade. Mm-hmm. And uh, then on Facebook, I'm Michael Patrick Key. And um, Unfortunately, whenever anybody Googles me, I'm always going to be way down there because there's Michael Keegan Key, or Keegan Michael Key, the the comedian, so whatever. So you'll always have to type in Michael Key Washington Blade, and then you'll see all my photos like out there. Thank you, Michael, for joining us today. You have to admit, that guy has guts. Would you have been able to be that strong, that brave, to threaten to sue your school so your boyfriend or girlfriend could come to the winter dance? I wouldn't have been able to. Thank you again to Michael. Thank you to WTOP and Julia Ziegler for allowing us to record here in the beautiful WTOP studios. And thank you for listening here at Out With Jimmy. I ask, please go to Apple Podcasts and click subscribe. 
and write us a nice review and give us as many stars as you possibly can. It would help more than you would know. Also, if you'd like to share your story, uh, go to outwithjimmy.com and social media. Follow us there on Out With Jimmy uh, on any uh, social media except for Instagram, which is Out With Jimmy Alexander. Next week, we're going to find out what happens when a chef hears from her parents, we're not going to pay for college because you're a lesbian. That's because Christy Cleveland will be out with Jimmy.